I love it when I can bring conversations from my radio show to the podcast because a lot of times what we talk about on the radio show is actually pertinent to what goes on here on the Suter Scooter Show. I'm Eric G from 97.1 The Sports Animal. Um, as I mentioned, this is the Suter Scooter Show, part of the Heartland College Sports Podcast Network. Do us a huge favor. Give us a five-star rating. Write a written review. Take a screenshot and send it to Pete Mundo at heartlandcollegesports.com. And Pete is going to send you back a Heartland College Sports koozie. Coming up on today's show, I will tell you about that conversation that we had on our show uh, concerning OU and expectations and what our fans really thinking as Oklahoma, as Oklahoma goes into the SEC. Also, we'll talk about the new college football playoff format, and we are going to get into what DraftKings has when it comes to the over and under for OU's upcoming season. And, I, and that is probably the best place to start, which unfortunately for us, again, we recorded last week on a Tuesday. This hit on Wednesday. So we had to wait a week to talk about it. I guess I could have done another podcast, but uh, dealing with some family stuff and also dealing with work didn't allow me time to just get in a room and spend about 15 to 20 minutes discussing this, but we'll discuss it now. DraftKings has sit their over-under or their win totals for the upcoming college football season when it comes to the SEC, and OU... OU comes in at seven and a half. Now, originally it was six and a half and a lot of people started betting the over. So DraftKings had to go back and they had to adjust for everybody drafting the over. Like, oh my God, we lose a hell of a lot of money here because all OU has to do is win seven games. And when you historically look at what the Sooners bring to college football, seven games doesn't seem like a hell of a, a hell of a stretch for OU to get in any given year. And I don't care that the that, that Sports Illustrated thinks that OU's got the third toughest schedule in college football. OU should be able to win more than seven and a half games every single year. And we'll tie more into that coming up in a second. But seven and a half wins, that's an insult. It, it, it's a total insult to where OU is. And I know that you've got a lot of data or I say data, you've got a lot of information on your side, especially OU's performances in the college football playoff against Alabama, Georgia, and LSU, uh, in particular the LSU and the Alabama performance, that, that make you think as a better, as a prognosticator, as a pundit, that OU can't do any, OU cannot beat the upper echelon in the SEC. We've seen it happen before. OU rushed out there and got waxed by two or three of those teams. Now, OU should have beaten Georgia. We blame Lincoln Riley for that game, for taking the ball out of Baker Mayfield's hands. And you can also blame Mike Stoops because the defense wasn't working that day and they were getting trucked by Georgia's running backs. But really, you know what? I'm going to blame Lincoln Riley because he took the ball out of Baker Mayfield's hands. And that's something that you got to account for when you're having this opinion. It isn't just simply because of the logo on the side of the helmet. There were things that went into all three of those matchups that caused Oklahoma to lose. Uh, two of those things happened to be that Alabama and LSU had way better athletes than Oklahoma. But historically, OU has done a hell of a job of getting some of the best athletes in college football to come to Norman and that's not going to change. 
Historically, OU has done a phenomenal job of being able to raise money, build facilities, surround itself with people who care, and that's not going to change. And when you look at OU's schedule, let's let's go back. Okay, let's go back for a second and discuss what I, I mentioned. Sports Illustrated thinks OU's got the third toughest schedule in all of college football. And as Coach Jones and I were talking about that this week, we asked the question, really? Like, really? Like, OU's really got the third toughest schedule in college football. In a way, I feel like you're you're either joking or you're underestimating the talent that OU already has. And if you want to make an argument, well, new offensive line where you may have four new players is going to be tough for Bill Biedenboe to get those guys acting as one. You got a new quarterback. Uh, running back situation is not as good as you made it out to be a year ago. And we're still trying to figure out what they've got receivers-wise. Okay, there are some definite reasons as to why OU may not be as good their first year in the SEC as they are in year two, year three of the Southeastern Conference. Fair enough. Fair enough. But let's take a look at this schedule. And you tell me, you tell me right now if there aren't more than seven and a half wins off the, on this schedule. Temple, that's a win. Okay, Temple is definitely a win for Oklahoma. Houston, could be tough. They're a Big 12 school. Last time Willie Fritz was in town with Tulane, he gave OU some fits. Houston has been known to give OU fits in the past, but last time I checked, Ed Oliver ain't walking through that door down in H-Town. So let's call that a win. Again, these are two home games. Tulane also at home. Granted, they won't really be all that affected by the humidity, but OU's 85 is going to be better than Tulane's 85. And even though Tulane had their chance to beat OU a couple of years ago in Lincoln Riley's last year, shouldn't be the case this year. Plus, as I mentioned, Willie Fritz over in Houston, rebuilding. It's rebuilding time in Houston. It's rebuilding time in Tulane. So those first three games sit up really well for OU to go into the Tennessee game, which is your first conference game with a full head of steam to take on the Volunteers. And that game in and of itself is going to be a little weird because Josh Heupel's returning to Norman. He's going to have a chip on his shoulder, but how comfortable is he feeling? Because last time he was here in Norman, everybody wanted the guy fired because they didn't think he did a good job as offensive coordinator. But I'll give you a win. I'm going to give OU a win on Tennessee. They'll win their first SEC game. And they'll be 1-0 in the SEC. And at that point, they'll be 4-0 hitting into Auburn, who was an absolute mess under Hugh Freeze. Now, granted, Auburn's going to have some athletes. And OU's never been to Jordan-Hare Stadium, although OU has had luck against Auburn. So we'll call that a talk. All right, let's give Auburn the benefit of the doubt. That, That Auburn's... Athletes are just as good, if not better, than OU. So we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. We'll get we'll give Auburn a toss up. You play Texas after that, which is always a toss up. Then you go to South Carolina, or actually South Carolina comes to Norman. That it's a game you you ought to win. So right now, one, two, three, four with the Tennessee, five guaranteed with the with the South Carolina, and toss ups between Auburn and Texas. You're at Ole Miss which will be a tough game. Not unwinnable, though. Toss-up. Maine win. 
Missouri toss-up. Bama right now, I think at worst, is a toss-up simply because of the transition they're going through with Caleb Caleb DeBoer. And we have no idea whether or not Alabama is going to be even remotely close to what they were under Nick Saban. And even last year, Alabama wasn't the Alabama that we got used to seeing over the last 20 years. Then you go to LSU. Baton Rouge, always a tough place to play. LSU's had OU's number the last couple of times we played. You know what? I'll I'll put that in as a loss. But if Bama's a toss-up, Mizzou is a toss-up, Ole Miss is a toss-up, Auburn and Texas are a toss-up, you've got one, two, three, four, five, six. You've got at least six guaranteed wins over there. And with all the toss-ups, I would think, oh, you would be able to win at least two, maybe three of those. Okay? Not dire straits. I don't believe that this schedule is as hard to navigate as everyone thinks it is. Now, it's not easy. And and the biggest thing that you've got to worry about in the Southeastern Conference is the fact that every week you are taking on teams that have the same kind of resources you do, the same kind of athletes you do. Depth is a little bit interesting because you're in the day and age age of a transfer portal. And there were a time where you could say your 85 was going to be better than, say, Missouri's 85, or let's just say South Carolina's 85. I don't know that that's necessarily true now. Um, Your 22 and South Carolina's 22 might be even. And then after that, it's throw darts at a board because of the transfer portal and everything else going on in college football, depth just doesn't exist. Injuries become a much bigger deal in the Southeastern Conference than they were in the Big 12 because you're going to have a harder time overcoming them because of how good the talent is in the SEC. But to just automatically assume the best OU could do would be six or seven wins their first year in the SEC isn't giving the program enough credit. And even if you don't believe in Brent Venables or aren't as sure about Brent Venables as you could be because of that first six and six season, forget about him. Remember what the program in is as a whole. Remember, you still border Texas. You are not going to suffer the same fate as Nebraska. And unfortunately, I can talk till I'm blue on my face, but until OU actually gets out there and proves it on the field, there are going to be a lot of people that disagree with me. I don't really care that they do, but I don't see this situation nearly as doom and gloom as a lot of people do. And we asked the question you know, on our radio show this week about whether or not OU fans should lower their expectations going into the Southeastern Conference. And I say, hell no. Hell no, don't lower your expectations. Expect to win 10 games every year. Expect to compete for a spot in the college football playoff. Maybe you're not winning a conference championship every year, but I don't know how important that is. Now, granted, the buy is a big deal. The automatic bid is always nice to get. But what you want more than anything out of college football is just to have a spot in the playoff because if you've got a spot in the playoff, anything can happen. And we're going to see over the next few years that in the college football playoff that there are going to be teams with three losses, teams with two losses during the season that actually win this thing. So even if you don't win your conference, you can still win a national championship. I mean, hell, Alabama did it during during a four-team playoff where they didn't even win their division and still ended up winning a national championship. You think those fans are upset about not having an SEC championship? They couldn't care less 
All they care about is the fact that they got a national championship. So while I'm not really all that concerned about the conference championship, all I want every year is OU to have 10 wins and to be in a position where they can get one of those at-large bids to the college football playoff. And from there, I will take my chances. I will take my chances that OU at some point will figure out how to win enough games to at the end of the year be crowned the college football national champion. And speaking of that, um, it came on Tuesday. I think Tuesday was the day that the college football playoff uh, board of managers decided to vote, decided to go ahead and okay the 5-7 model for the college football playoffs. And what this means is that the highest ranked five conference champions get automatic bids into the playoffs and the four highest ranked conference champions get a bye, which should set up well for conferences like the SEC, the Big Ten, the Pac-10, or not, the, I guess not the Pac-12, but the Big 12 and the ACC. It should set up that the four conference champions out of out of out of those out of those four conferences would normally get a buy. Where it gets dangerous and where if you're a fan of a power five school, this isn't gonna make you happy, you wanted more of the four eight model. Now, why am I not including the Pac twelve? Because technically the Pac twelve does exist. Yes, the Pac twelve does exist, even though it only has two teams. And they have a scheduling alliance with the Mountain West Conference. However, the way that the college football playoff committee is treating the Pac-12, they are treating Oregon State and Washington State like they're Notre Dame. No, they're not giving them any special privilege. They're just considered an independent. So even if the Pac-12 crowns a champion, they have to go in as one of the at-large teams. That's the best any of the two Pac-12 schools can hope for is that they get swallowed up in that seven. That is that is the at that is the at large bid. But back to the whole four eight model. It would have been better for OU had you done a four eight model, which pretty much guarantees the power four conference champions get in, and then it's the next highest ranked eight teams after that. Because you do with the five seven model, it comes back to last year and Liberty who was ranked below OU would have knocked OU out of the playoffs because they're one of the five highest ranked conference champions. So they would have got an automatic berth. OU would have been on the outside looking in. And I look, I don't care who I offend when I say this, but the truth of the matter is the schools like Coastal Carolina, Liberty, Buffalo, uh, New Mexico State, schools like that don't deserve to be playing for the same championship as OU does or Alabama, or Tennessee, or LSU, or Ole Miss. And yes, I'm just naming SEC schools because OU's going to the SEC. I mean, fill in your Big Ten schools if you want to in this situation, Michigan, Ohio State. No, they don't deserve to be playing for that. And they certainly don't deserve to be hosting. I mean, who wants, seriously, if New Mexico State was the highest ranked, highest one of the, one of the five highest ranked conference champions, you would have to go to crummy Aggie Memorial Stadium to play a first-round playoff game. And chances are your fans would actually outdraw New Mexico State fans. And while it seems good to give Cinderella an opportunity the way they do in college basketball, the truth is, is that most people, when they're watching a playoff or watching any sort of championship situation, 
They want to see the big boys square off. And if you're not giving them the big boys squaring, squaring off, they're not going to watch. I mean, it might be fun one time to watch, say, a Boise State win a national championship. That might be fun. All right, hey, Boise State's getting to play Georgia in the national championship and Boise State wins. All right, it's, it's, it's great for a year. It's great for a year that that happened and everybody feels joyous the underdog won. You get that two, three more times, everybody's going to start thinking that the playoff's a joke and people aren't going to be happy. People would much rather have a Michigan-Alabama square off, an Ohio State-Texas square off, than Boise State insert anyone. And you could even say that with lower power five schools. I I don't think people were really all that fired up to have TCU playing Georgia in the national championship a couple of years ago. I haven't looked at the ratings, but I don't think most people were all, all that excited about it. It's sort of a novelty act. It's like, oh, okay, TCU's in. Then Georgia goes and pummels them, and you're turning out by halftime. And if you, as long as you've got two teams, two sexy teams, a USC, an LSU, an Oklahoma, somebody like that, it, it, it whets the appetite a lot more. And hopefully the selection committee understands that. Hopefully the board of managers, when they decided to do this, thinks about that as well, and starts to revisit whether or not you actually made the best decision for college football. It looks great to give the group of five an opportunity to sit at the table, but in the long run, it's not really what you want. And I'm not trying to be exclusionary. I'm just trying to lay out the facts. I'm trying to give you the the truth on what college football fans ultimately think about all this. So, yeah, I would have really hoped for a 4-8 model. By the way, um, the the two schools that are left in the Pac-12 are going to make, well, what they've asked for is the full share that all the other Power 5 schools get. Power 5 schools are going to make between 5 and $6 million on this thing. And that ain't, you know, that ain't chump change. So you can see Oregon State and Washington State wanting that. I don't know what, what, their, what their future holds. I don't know if their future is being independence and hoping for at-large bids every every year or doing something to get the Mountain West to join and become the Pac-12 again, and hopefully somebody would look at them as a Power 5 conference. I don't think they will. I, I, think, you get the, I think you can get the Mountain West to go under the Pac-12 moniker all day. I still don't think every, anyone is going to look at it necessarily as a um, – necessarily as a is a power five conference so yeah it sucks to be them sucks to be those two schools but the only thing you can do is just play your ass off and hope that at some point you're going to be one you're going to be one of the the 12 teams left standing in in the college football playoff and um you know the other thing i was looking at today with all this where are we going with college football and it feels like eventually there'll be an SEC Big Ten merger and that even if we don't get that, even if we don't get an SEC Big Ten merger and that becomes the premier college football league in America that everybody tunes in to watch, I do believe that the SEC and the Big Ten will get together and solve the issues that you've got with the NIL and the transfer portal. That almost certainly has to happen. And I trust Greg Sankey. I trust Greg Sankey to... 
lay out a plan that that everyone can easily digest and everyone can get on board with. I'm not sure what the I'm not sure what the right answers are here because NIL designed to give kids endorsement opportunities has now pretty much become a pay for play situation and the transfer portal I I don't know that I necessarily agree with kids having to sit out a year if they transfer. It feels like you should be able to play right away. But it's also forcing kids to make a lot of hasty decisions, and it's not allowing coaches to develop to develop programs. So there has to be some sort of meet in the middle on the transfer portal. Well, maybe it's just simple. Look, no matter what the circumstances are, you can transfer one time. You have immediate eligibility. Anytime after that, no matter what the circumstances are, you have to sit out a year. You may not have to get out of you may not have to give up a year of eligibility, but you have to sit out a year, even if you're a grad transfer. It would I, I don't know. I, I think I think it would at least give kids a little bit of pause because right now you've got a vagabond college football. You've, you've got a vagabond state of college football where a lot of kids are trying to play free agent. And for some of them, it works great. For others, they end up blowing their scholarship. That wraps up this week's episode of the Sooner Schooner Show. Um, Do me a favor. Uh, Again, give us a five-star rating and write a written review. And take a screenshot of both those and send it to Pete Mundo at heartlandcollegesports.com, and Pete will give you a Heartland College Sports koozie. Also, don't forget with the portal. I'm going to add this one last thing in here postscript. I know I'm not supposed to do that, but I'm going to add this in here postscript. I don't know the coaches necessarily want the portal to shut down because it does give them room to where if they made a mistake in recruiting, it's a lot easier to get rid of a kid than what they used to. But I still believe that there's a compromise that you can come to that benefits the players and benefits the coaches. Who knows? Maybe I'm just pie in the sky on that. So you know that. We'll be back next time. And, um, hey, I just want to tell you, since uh, we are in the Lenten season, it's okay to eat fish because they – don't have any feelings. We will talk with you next week on the Sooner Schooner Show here on the Heartland College Sports Podcast Network.